Thank you, choir. As we open God's Word this morning, let us go to Him in prayer. Lord, You do invite us to sing the song of Your praises. And we're unable to do that because You're good and You're gracious and You're merciful and You have showered Your love upon us and You've made a way for us to know You. And that promotes in us thanksgiving and many, many times that thanksgiving does burst forth in the song. And Lord, I pray this morning as we learn more about who You are and what You've done for us in Christ, that that song of thanksgiving will continue to fill our soul. So that in everything we do, everything we say, everywhere we go, everything that we're about, Lord, uh, is, is about You. And Lord, now would You speak to us in Your Word, through Your Spirit, that we may be the people You want us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. You're welcome to use that. As you turn there, I want to ask you a question. I know many of you uh, follow sports. I know we have the NBA Finals coming up. We have some hockey, I think. I just flip through the channels and I see hockey. I don't really follow that, so I don't really know much about it. Uh, but I think it's still going on. Uh, baseball, different sports go on. But, you know, one thing... All sports have in common, and you may know what this is, they all have rules, right? They all have rules, and then they have a rule enforcer, and we know that person as the the referee or the umpire, but there's somebody on the field, on the court, in the rink, somewhere, somewhere, doing, you know, something as far as regulating the rules, and what they do is they figure out, okay, if you break the rules, you get a penalty, Or if you do something, I guess, really bad, uh, you're ejected from the game. You're disqualified, right? It's that type of sports arena analogy of the referee that Paul picks up on as he moves into uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 through 23. He's actually going to pick up two actions that the referee uh, carries out. One is judging if you're playing by the rules or not. And this other one is disqualifying you know, figuring out whether or not you're, you're in the game or you should be out of, out of the game. Those are the two actions Paul is going to pick up on in this passage. And so look with, look with me first at verse 16. Paul says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Now, those of you who are just joining us today, I want to give you a little context here. Paul is writing this letter to a church in Colossae. And it's a young church. And some, some teachers have been kind of seeping into the church that have began to teach uh, certain things that really aren't lining up with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul sends this letter to bring about some correction, to bring about some stability, and to warn those in the church, hey, you've got to be careful uh, about s- certain teachings that are going around. And the teaching that specifically he's dealing with here is that this idea that, you know, to be connected to God and to grow in your relationship with God, yes, you need to have faith in Jesus, but you also need to hold to these different regulations, such as what you should and should not eat, what you should and should not drink, which days you should hold as more holy than others or what festivals you should attend and how you should participate in those. Uh, And so 
there was this idea that yes, faith in Jesus was necessary, but you also needed to maintain these certain regulations and observances if you want to mature in your relationship with God. And so you have these guys moving into the church with their black and white striped shirts on and their whistles, and they're paying attention to your, you know, your grocery list and your day calendar and blowing the whistle if they see you doing something wrong. And Paul says, hey, don't allow people like that to judge you in regard to these things. Now, this isn't to say that we should not be judged on other things. Uh, if that was the case, then Paul would be contradicting himself in writing this letter. Because he's writing to the church saying, hey, there's some things you need to do, and there's some things you should not do. But what Paul's saying is there are certain things, though, that you should not allow anyone to be your judge on. And in specific regards, in verse 16, it deals with food, drink, a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath. And so these spiritual referees believe that spiritual growth comes by you know, what you avoid in terms of food and what you observe in terms of days. You know, there are even some today that say, you know, worshiping on a certain day is a sign of the Antichrist. And you worship Christ on Sunday, it's a sign of the Antichrist. Or, you know, it's this idea of we're going we're gonna to lift up certain days over others and judge you accordingly. And Paul says, uh, don't allow people to judge you in that way. And it sounds a lot like these false teachers are reaching back into the Old Testament and they're grabbing hold of a few things like the dietary laws, uh, all those feasts, the Sabbath, and they're trying to bring them all into the church and say, you know what? Yes, you need Christ, but you also need all these other things as well if you're going to mature in your relationship with God. And Paul says, beware of this type of teaching. And like I said, it's not that Paul is against us holding each other accountable, but the difference is Paul's teaching is rooted and grounded in Christ, in His Word, whereas the false teachers are rooting their teaching in ideas that are no longer binding on the Christian. They're no longer in play for you and I. They're no longer avenues by which we grow in our relationship with Christ. And so Paul says you should be aware and beware of teaching that tends to separate spiritual growth from Jesus. Beware of that teaching. And then in verse 18, he goes on and he says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Again, you have this idea of the referee determining whether you're qualified or not, or whether or not you're going to be disqualified based on, specifically Paul mentions, the worship of angels and personal visions, these mystical visions. Now, the worship of angels, at first glance, may actually seem humble. You know, the idea goes like this. Uh, instead of going straight to the Son of God, the perfect Holy Son of God, you know, we, we're so insignificant, we need to go to someone else that's maybe purer than we are, angels, or maybe some other person, 
And then they can go to Jesus on our behalf. It sounds humble. But actually it's steaming with pride. Because it's pride that says, I can concoct a way to God better than God can. Because Paul's saying the way that we connect with the fullness of God, and we looked at this last week, is through faith in Christ and Christ alone. And this same thread of human pride is found in these visions that people were claiming, and even still claim today. You know, some churches just put a little too much emphasis, I think, on personal visions and experiences. And you begin to even elevate those above the Word of God. And I think Paul would say, you need to be aware of that. You need to watch out for that. And there are some denominations that hold both to God's Word and all these visions that their teachers have had. And I think Paul would say, you need to be aware of that. So Paul pinpoints the problem with these teachings, though, in verse 17 and verse 19. First, let's look, let's look at verse 17, where he specifically shows you the problem with holding to these food laws and regulations and holy days. He says this in verse 17. He said, these, talking about food, drink, holy days, festivals, he said, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. All these regulations are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now, how many of you have seen the Disney movie, Peter Pan? All right. Do you remember at the very beginning of the movie, Peter Pan flies up to the darling's house, right? Flies up to the window of the children's bedroom. And do you know what he's looking for? He's looking for a shadow, right? I think the dog caught his shadow somehow, and Wendy locked it up in the drawer. And so Peter Pan's coming back for his shadow. You know, and he's got Tinkerbell with him. They go into the room, everybody's sleeping. Wendy, John, Michael, they're all sleeping. Peter Pan's going through everything. Tinkerbell's going, uh, Tinkerbell finds the shadow. Peter comes over, pulls the drawer open, the shadow escapes. Peter's running around the room, flying around the room, trying to catch the shadow. Finally catches it, but he's made such a, such a commotion. He wakes Wendy up, and Wendy's up, and after some introductions and whatnot, Wendy decides to help Peter Pan put his shadow back to his body. And so you remember the, the scene, uh, he, he, she, she sits Peter Pan down and begins to sew his shadow onto his foot, you know, his, his uh, slipper or whatever, his shoe, whatever he's wearing there, um, and he's sewing it back together, he's piecing it back together. And in essence, that's what the Colossians were, were being exposed to. These false teachers were looking for the shadow and they were trying to connect it back to the person. In other words, they were saying the shadow is of equal importance as the person that cast the shadow. And they're trying to merge them together and sew them back together. And Paul says, you know, that's crazy. I mean, just think about it. Can you imagine someone coming up to you on a sunny day, approaching you, and then instead of talking to, directly to you, they talk to your shadow? Or if a family member comes up to hug you, they try to hug your shadow on the ground? Isn't that strange? And Paul says, that's what you're doing, church. You're going back, and you're trying to hug the shadow 
when the person's right in front of you. The substance is here, and that's Christ. And so what they were doing is they were failing to realize the purpose of, specifically, it wasn't just the Old Testament regulations. There were some also from other pagan religions they were bringing in. But surely they were referencing some of these Old Testament regulations. And they were failing to see that in Christ, He fulfilled these regulations for us. And so that we no longer need to uh, be careful about what kinds of food we eat or drink. Or which days we hold as holy or not. Because all of those have been fulfilled in Christ. They're no longer binding for the Christian. And if you think spiritual maturity, if your relationship with God is bolstered and strengthened and you mature in your walk with Christ, if you think that comes by a certain diet or having a certain calendar, then I would say you need to come out of the shadows and come to Christ. Look at Colossians 2, verses 20 through 23. And this is why I say this. Listen to what Paul says in verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things all that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teaching? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, if you're trying to seek spiritual growth apart from Christ, it cannot be done. You cannot manufacture spiritual growth. But it must flow from the person of Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul says in verse 19. He says these teachers that are seeking... seeking to supposedly mature you apart from Jesus, he says in verse 19, they are not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. It's a growth that is from God. So Paul is clear that we both have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, and we grow in our relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And these false teachers, were, they had this unhealthy mix of man's effort and God's effort. They had this unhealthy mix that was not producing spiritual growth. And Paul brings clarification and says, actually growth comes from God. You can't manufacture that. It comes only from God. Our role is to trust Him, submit to Him, come to Him, but His role is to change us. This is what Jesus said in John 15, right? John 15, 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. In other words, you cannot manufacture spiritual growth apart from Christ. It cannot be done. So our our spiritual growth flows from our connection with Jesus. Or another way to say this is that our obedience, which is important, and God wants us to follow Him in His ways, 
But our obedience flows from our acceptance. It doesn't warrant our acceptance or earn our acceptance. It flows from our acceptance. And so Paul, in the rest of his letter, he's going to be very specific about things that as Christians we ought to do, but it's going to be in the context of our relationship with Jesus Christ. We are accepted by God through faith in Christ, and then out of that relationship, we walk with Him. And He produces growth in our lives. I want to ask you a question. What do you call a man who observes a woman's favorite place to eat and her favorite places to shop, observes where she lives, and then meets her at her house one day and blindfolds her and takes her with him. Well, you need to know one more thing, don't you, before you come to a conclusion on that. You need to ask yourself, does she know this man? Because <laughs> that's a make or break, isn't it? If you don't know the man, he's a stalker. <laughs> you know, he's a stalker. However, what if I told you it was her husband? Oh, that completely changes it. it the relationship changes the game. But yet the actions are the same. Either you have a stalker, a creeper, or you have someone who's romantic. But what makes the difference? The relationship. And what Paul is laying down here in these first few chapters, and he's going to build upon in the next three, is that obedience, doing things that God would have us to do, are good and right. But they will not promote growth unless you have a personal relationship with the head who is Christ. Spiritual growth can only come through being connected to Christ. And so as we seek to grow in Christ, our role is to seek Him, to trust Him, but it's God's role to bring about the change. The way a Christian grows is from the inside out. It's from the inside out. And that's why it's paramount, it's a necessity that you first be connected to Christ, and then He's the one who can begin to change the inside, change the affections, your desires, what you love. And as that conversion happens, then you begin to grow in your love for things that God loves. It's a change that comes from the inside out. God's role is to bring about the necessary change. It's, the growth comes from God, Paul says. And so as you seek to grow in your relationship with Christ, don't let others stand in judgment on you about days of the week or your grocery bill, or other regulations such as festivals or new moons or worshiping angels, or what may seem on the outside as manufacturing, you know, spiritual maturity, but rather come out of the shadows and trust God to make you into the person He wants you to be based on what He says in His Word. Let's pray together. Lord, that is our desire. Lord, we don't want to concoct some way to You other than what You have prescribed. We don't want to come up with a vision or put our imagination to work as to how we can manufacture godliness. 
Lord, we want to be connected to You through Your Son. And we want to trust You. God, would You by Your Spirit change us from the inside out. Help us to uh, align our desires with Your desires. And Lord, just help us to submit to You and Your ways. And we know, as Paul says in here, in Your Word, that the growth will come from You. Our obedience, all that we do, can flow from being accepted by You through what Jesus has done for us through His life, death, and resurrection. Lord, I pray that each person here would have personal faith in Christ. That they would experience Your acceptance and forgiveness. And out of that relationship, experience the joy of what it looks like to walk with You for eternity. And that is our prayer. In Jesus' name, Amen.